Genesis chapter uh, 45. Oh yeah, there's a moral to that story if you, that, the, of everything here. If you give something sacred as a gift to Curtis, no, he's just going to throw it around, okay? <laughs> don't, don't have your feelings hurt, so. Hey, the new Calvary Chapel magazine is out, and uh, our Calvary Chapel magazine that comes every year, hi- or once a quarter, highlights a lot of missions work that is going on in Calvary Chapels all over the world. Uh, this, this magazine, the article that it highlights, there's other articles in here, but it highlights um, some work that's going on in Tibet. So these are free. If you'd like one, please take it. Um, we do ask because, as um, I've said before, we put our church information on the back that when you get done reading it, you would share it with a neighbor, with a friend, uh, maybe put it in a doctor's office um, or at the gym you go to or any of those places where people have tendency to pick up a magazine and read it. So uh, please take them. They'll be right outside the door this morning when you exit uh, after service. So let's get to my notes here. Genesis chapter 45. Um, Man, last week when we ended, we're kind of right in the middle of some stuff. But um, as we continue on through our study, I wanted to... uh, There's a lot of cool things going on in this chapter. And as you know, we've been studying through the book of Genesis for a while now. We're coming to the end of it. And also in this chapter, we're coming to some conclusions to some things that have been building up for a while that we've been studying through in the last several chapters. And as we begin this morning, I want to just kind of take a a little route and look at some things and then we'll get into the text. But um, I think it's safe to say that all of us at one time or another have found ourselves in a position where we, as the saying goes, had gone from the frying pan and into the fire, right? You guys ever been in a situation like that? I think we all have, where we, like Job, uh, a, a guy in the Bible, if you don't know about him, but a guy like Job in his time of suffering, in a time when he was in a frying pan, so to speak, had proclaimed in Job chapter 3, verse 25, he said, for the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me in the frying pan, and what I dreaded has happened to me right into the fire. And, um, and we... F- And in those moments when that happens, like Job, we felt like that because our circumstances or painful situations went from bad for worse um, um, to the place that that we were dreading, that that things that um, we go, I can't imagine how it could get any worse, right? Those things were the things that came to pass. Those things actually happened. And I point this out because in this next chapter, in chapter 45, with Joseph and his brothers, this is exactly um, where they had found themselves, Joseph's brothers, jumping, if you will, out of the the frying pan and into the fire. So if you remember when we ended last week, we stopped right in the middle of this kind of dramatic courtroom-like scene where Benjamin, the youngest of all the brothers, he had been caught red-handed, even though he'd been set up. He had been caught red-handed, right, with Joseph's stolen silver cup. And he was now standing. He had been brought back to stand before Joseph, the governor and second ruler over all of Egypt. He was standing before him, and he was, sitting, he was facing this judgment and a sentence of a lifetime of slavery for having stolen this cup, the silver cup. But once again, these 11 sons or these total of 11 sons of Jacob who were now standing up together that the 10 of the 11 were defending the one um, and they were in the midst of standing there in and offering a defense for Benjamin and even we know willing to take his punishment <clears throat> that these brothers receive an unexpected surprise and that's kind of defined um, a lot of what's happened to them up to this point. Lots of unexpected things and unexplainable things had been happening to them. And um, in that, in this chapter, what we see is, is that Joseph will finally reveal himself to him. His identity has been hidden, he being a brother. And if you, if you know the story, you know where we're at. If not, you'll, you'll pick up on what I'm talking about as we go through, but I would encourage you also to go back and read through it on your own. It's a, it's a powerful message uh, that applies to our life today. And, and the thing about Joseph revealing himself at this time is we know that Joseph had been waiting to do so, or he had waited to do so, in order to enact a plan that God had given him. A plan specifically that um, was put forth to test his brothers. 
but not just a, a, to test them, but to bring them to the place through these testings uh, to the place where they would confess their hidden sin. And so after a series of calculated events enacted by God, or, or handed down by God and enacted by Joseph, we read how Judah, last week in chapter 44, verse 16, confessed that God had found their sin out and was now punishing them for what they had previously done. But it was clear that Judah and his brother's sorrow was, as the Bible says, it was a godly sorrow. It was a godly, a godly sorrow that was reading, leading to repentance. In other words, you, we can have in our own lives a time where we're sorry that we got caught, right? Or sorry that we're receiving consequences for something that we did that was wrong, that we got caught. Or we could have a godly sorrow that leads us to the place of repentance, meaning where we turn away. And we talked about this the last couple of weeks, where we turn away from the sin or the lifestyle or the direction that we were going. It is opposite of the way that God's called us or instructed us or commanded us to do and in doing so we're willing to own up to what we've done make it right and ask for forgiveness that's where these brothers of joseph were at they were experiencing a godly sorrow that was leading to repentance and we know that because jacob and his brothers at this point they were willing to protect their younger brother and that's not what they had been willing to do in the past they were willing to protect their younger brother and also willing to take Benjamin's punishment as a payment. They were recognizing this as a payment for the past wrongs that they had done against their other younger brother, Joseph. And so Jacob made his plea. At the end of chapter 40, 44, he made his plea for Benjamin's relief, release. And in doing so, he even offered himself in exchange for Benjamin, he proclaimed that he would be the one who would be willing to be remain and be Joseph's slave in Benjamin's place. In doing so, you know, Jacob explained how their father, or jo Judah explained how their father, Jacob, had already lost one son, Joseph, and how uh, Benjamin was dear to Jacob, and that if he did not return, that it would break Jacob's heart and he would die. And guys, it was this concern. It was this concern that was being expressed now before Joseph for their father and the demonstration of this sacrificial love for Benjamin that moved Joseph to tears and moved him to the place where he would reveal himself to his brothers. And so we continue on now in chapter 45. Let's pray and I'll read. Lord, we ask God that you would make your will known to us. We make God that you would open our eyes in our hearts to the truths that are found in the rest of this account, in the rest of the story of Joseph's lives and his life and his brothers. And, and God, what you were doing before these things and in the midst of these things that we're reading about now, <clears throat> and ultimately, God, how it was part of your bigger plan for a greater thing, God, that you and I, that, that we all have been par partakers of even today because of the events that we're reading here. Lord, I pray that as we see your hand working, that we would understand that you do the same thing for us. God, that you have, a, 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 as it says in Jeremiah, a plan of good for us, a future and a hope in everything that you have us going through and that you will lead us through in the days to come that follow these, whatever it is. I pray, God, that when we realize that and see that this morning, that you would give us an extra measure of faith to trust in you, to rely upon you, to cling to you, Lord, so that we may do your will as we wait expectantly for your return. Lord, we love you, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, it says, Then Joseph, he said he could not restrain himself before those who stood before him. And he cried out. Okay, so we have this the scene where his brothers are there, they're, they're, the Benjamin's being charged and ready to be sentenced for <coughs> stealing the cup. And Judah's intervened. And so this whole courtroom setting of people are there before Joseph, the second in charge of all of Egypt. And it says, he said, and he cried out, make everyone go from me. And so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And so I kind of picture it. They're all gathered together, the officials, and everybody's there. And Joseph moves them all out. He has the door shut behind him, and it's just him and his brothers. 
It was him and his brothers. And it says in verse 2 that he wept. He wept aloud, and it was so loud, it says, that the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And man, if you've ever been in that place where you've just been broken and grieving and your emotions take hold of you and it's that, that, that uncontrollable emotion that comes from deep within inside you, that's what I imagine it is. Unrestrained. It says, and then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And so they came near. I imagine that was very tentatively they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brothers, whom you sold into Egypt. And you remember, they had sold him into slavery. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for why? For God sent me before you to preserve my life. Now think about that in just a practical sense in our own lives. Think about a time when you've been betrayed by a loved one, when you've been harmed, when you've been hurt, when you put yourself out there and, and even were doing and sharing good things with them. Because that's how this all started with Joseph. He was sharing with them something that God had revealed to him in a dream. And they turned on him, their own brother. They were jealous of him. Envy set on their heart. And that envy led to thoughts of murder. And they were going to murder him. But yet, because of greed... They figured, we don't want to just murder him. We can benefit from him. We sell him, my own brother. Now think of a time where in your own life, because we all have had those kinds of hurts, and then you come back to that place where that person wants to reconcile, and you're like, hey, you know what? Don't be sad for what you've done. Don't be grieved. Don't even be angry with yourselves because, you know what? God was in control of all that. That was God's will. Because God sent me before you to preserve my life. And, and, and obviously we can look at the big picture and the whole story and we see that this is a process that Joseph's been taken to and this is where he's at. But this is a truth that's being spoken that Joseph is speaking into this situation for many reasons and it's something that we've got to see. We've got to check our own heart. Is that us? Do we believe that in our own lives? That God's in control and even those situations when someone is hurting and harming us. And so it says in verse 5 or in verse 6, he says, for these two years... Speaking of the famine, right? For these two years, the famine has been in the land. There are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting, neither a continuing of the, of, the, of the famine. And we know that, that when Pharaoh had the dreams that it was going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Two years have passed is what Joseph is saying to brothers. And he said, And God, verse 7, sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you and the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So... Now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Hurry. You notice he left out the... And by the way, I was uh, not only sold into slavery, but I was cast into prison and you know, all these other things that we know. It's just, it's not there. He's all, his eyes are on God. His eyes are seeing God and looking through the situation through that lens. And it brings him to this place where he can offer this forgiveness and this grace. And even more as we read on. But he says, hurry, verse 9, speaking of these blessings that he, he's going to share to them or show to them. He says, hurry and go up to my father and say to them, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt and come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall not dwell in the land. Or he says, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Verse 11, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come into poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. In other words, guys, it's really me. It's your brother. So you shall tell my father of all of my glory in Egypt and all that you have, uh, or, or uh, all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, 
He kissed all of his brothers and he wept over them. And then I love this part of this verse, this story. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Could you imagine what that would have been like? After all these years, restoration, forgiveness, grace, mercy, love. Restoration. And they talked with each other. Now the report of it was now we'll stop there let's stop there (laughs) we'll digest that and then we'll go on so as we look back to the beginning of this and we see the scene being portrayed and laid out for us what we see is that because the real issue was not a matter of state the real issue at hand here was not a matter of state um, in regards to something being stolen from one of the rulers the real issue was a family issue right that was a real issue it was a family issue between joseph and his brothers And we see that when the time came for Joseph to make himself known to his brothers, he went ahead and dismissed all the other officials, these Egyptian officials, and and his servants, and the steward of his house, and the guard, and all those people who were here, the ones who had brought him back, that had all been gathered for this trial. And he dismissed them all because it was time for family privacy. It was a time to deal with family things. Remember, up to that point, Joseph had even been using an interpreter one who would speak Hebrew to his brothers when talking to them in order to conceal his identity through this period of time of testing and, and, and um, enacting of God's plan. And so as Joseph now stood alone before his brothers, he revealed himself by speaking three deafening words that would have sent them and did send them really into a state of disbelief. And he said this, I am Joseph. And this simple statement had to have exploded in their ears. And it had to have brought this sense of terror into their hearts. Here's the reason why. Because if this powerful man, who they were already in trouble with, was in fact their brother whom they had betrayed all these years ago, then how was he going to now punish them for their sins? And according to verse 3, it says that they couldn't even answer him, speechless, as they stood, the word there, dismayed in his presence. And this word dismayed is the Hebrew word bahal. And it means to be disturbed, as you could imagine. Anxious, as you could imagine. Terrified, afraid. And being overcome by their fear, by their dismay, they, they, it's clear that they understood that their situation had now just gone from bad to worse. They had gone from the frying pan and into the fire. And so in light of their silence, Joseph spoke up a second time. I don't really know if this made things better, but he, he called them to come near him and he said once again, I am Joseph. But this time we see that he included the fact about them having sold him into slavery. So I'm, jo- I'm Joseph, guys. Come here. I'm Joseph, the one you sold into slavery all them years ago. And I imagine that would have put even more dread into their hearts. You ever been in a situation like that? You know, maybe not the exact same set of circumstances, obviously, but that time where you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, that's one of these moments. Yet clearly we see that what takes place after this isn't what they expected and isn't what we might expect if we found ourselves in that situation. Because we see that clearly Joseph wasn't going, hey, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. He didn't say these things in order to condemn them, but to convince them, first of all, that he was who he claimed to be. And even later on, again, he said, hey, it's me. I'm speaking to you in my own words. With my own mouth, but the reason why he he went on to do this is because not only because he wanted them to know it was him, but in spite of the judgment and condemnation that they deserved and were expecting, we see that Joseph was making this known and he continued to speak to them in verse 5 because what he wanted to do was give them something they didn't deserve. That's what God had done. That was the work that God had done. In that, Joseph went on to speak words of compassion. Hey guys, don't be grieved. Don't worry. 
Don't be angry at yourselves for what you had done. And obviously Joseph knew because of the things that they had revealed up to this place that their hearts were no longer hardened. There was a tenderness. He didn't need to come and beat them up, throw them into prison, soften them up. God had already done that work into their hearts and He had revealed that to Joseph. And so what Joseph do? He came in with grace and mercy and forgiveness, compassion. And He encouraged them from a loving and forgiving heart. In fact, Joseph told them, don't dwell on your sins, but dwell on what God has done for all of us. And in doing so, Joseph acknowledged how God had overruled his brothers. Didn't dismiss it, okay? But when he brought the God card, if you will, into the situation, he pointed out that God had overruled his brothers' hateful attitude and their cruel actions, cruel, their, their, cruel, their, their, their cruel actions towards him. And that not only overruled it, but he had worked it for good. He'd worked it for good. So even though Joseph's brothers were, were responsible, clearly, for the suffering, the 22 years or 20-some years of suffering that Joseph had gone through, God used them those years, starting from the time when they threw him into the pit into the time where he's standing here now, for his divine purpose. God had used them for good to accomplish His divine purpose, to bring forth His plan, to enact His will. And this is what Joseph was pointing out by acknowledging that God was... Basically what he's saying, he's saying, guys, God was never out of control. God was never out of control of any of the situations that He had been through or been in in the midst of the 22 years that He had been there in Egypt. God was never out of control. And because we know that the whole... The whole of Joseph's story, we, because you and I have the ability to look back now from where it began and where, how it ended, we can see how God had sent him into Egypt so that Jacob's family could be preserved, but more so that the nation of Israel could be born. Fast forward 400 years, there's a man who comes on the scene by the name of Moses. And those who had entered in as a family, it says those were about 70, which is probably a reference to the males at that time, that adult males more than that. They came out numbering millions. Millions. Part of God's plan. So, so Jacob's family could be preserved, but so that the nation of Israel might be born, and ultimately into our time, into our lives, so that the Word of God and the Savior of God could be manifested to the world, to you and I. There's an importance to this. It connects us. And when we consider this story of Joseph and his brothers, guys, it should encourage us to do this. Recognize the sovereignty of God. To recognize the sovereignty of God in the affairs of our own lives. And then also to encourage us to trust in God's promises no matter how difficult this life, your life, my life might get. Is God in control? Is God in control? Yes. He's in control. He's in control of your life. He's in control of your marriage. He's in control of your finances. He's in control of our government officials. He's in control of all this chaotic stuff that we see going on in the world. Ultimately, God's working His plan for good. And He takes the things that men intend for evil, it says, and He works them for good. When? Every time. How? Because He's God. He sees the beginning from the end. And when we're trapped in the midst of the situation, and it doesn't sometimes see like that or seem like it to us, we have to remember these kinds of things. Remember in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, it tells us this. There are many plans in a man's heart. Our own plans. Others' plans that include us or don't include us at times that still causes problems. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, it says, the counsel of the Lord stands. In light of this, it's, 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 in light of all of this, it's important for us to understand that Joseph truly believed. He truly believed that God's will had taken place. And not man's will, not his brother's will. He believed that God's will had taken place and not man's will. And you want to know what that did? That enabled him. That empowered Joseph. 
And what did it empower him and enable him to do? It empowered him and enabled him in this moment when he revealed himself to him to forgive them rather than to go, I'm Joseph, off with your heads. You're getting what you deserve. I'm having my revenge. It empowered him. The sovereign hand of God, the recognition of that, the belief in that, the faith in that, the trust in that, the manifestation of that in his life that he was willing to see empowered him and enabled him to forgive his brothers. And it's obvious that he had come to this conclusion years ago, not just in that moment, and it's obvious that he had even allowed for those truths, that truth to comfort him in those difficult years of when he was going through so many things in Potiphar's house and in the prisons and in the, when he was in the prison even being forgotten by those whom he helped. You know the story. And it's important for us when we see this to know that we can trust in God's will for our lives. You can trust in God's will for your life. You can trust that God's will for your life cannot be undone by a person's evil ways. Because this principle of faith is a basis for forgiveness and and reconciliation. You see, when, when we come to that place, it does the same thing for us what it did for Joseph. When you come to the place where you go, listen, God's greater than that knucklehead. God's plan for my life is, is greater than your plans to try to do something alternative to what God has already said He's going to do for me. And when we come to that place, then we can deal with people who have harmed us, who've sinned against us, who've made our situation unfavorable or hard. We can, we can come to that place where we're like Joseph, where we go, listen, guys, we, I forgive you. Let's be reconciled. And, 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 and this truth allows us to be that place because when we perceive and acknowledge the sovereign hand of God working in and controlling every circumstance of our lives, we're enabled, we're empowered. We're set free. Our eyes are on God. Now, even though Joseph was able to share with his brothers the fact that he had been, that God had been working out his good plan through all of these circumstances over all of these years, it did not mean that Joseph never had moments of doubt. Okay? He's a human being. Hard things happen to him. And he went through many difficult things over many, in many years. And during those 22 years, there had to have been these moments when Joseph asked those same questions of why God that we all have a tendency to ask when we're going through hard things. Right? Who, who's asked that question? Why God? Why? And I point this out because the Bible clearly teaches us that God's divine ways, first of all, are past our knowing, past our understanding. And even though in this moment, the last piece of the puzzle perhaps coming together, even though Joseph was able to eventually see how he and his brothers had all been a part of God's plan for the purpose of saving all of their lives, it does not mean that he always saw this. It does not mean that he always saw the reasons for why or received the answers to the questions of why that we all have in those moments. However, Joseph's life, And the things that he went through, and the things that God was working out in these situations, it all points points out that our lack of understanding to the as as to the why things are the way they are does not make God's faithfulness untrue. Did you hear what I said? Even though we don't have the answers to why things are the way they are, it doesn't mean that God's faithfulness is untrue. And this Joseph account reveals that to us. When was God not faithful in this story? He was faithful always. And Joseph acknowledges that. He said, guys, even you this, God's faithful to me. He had a plan. He had a purpose. He was faithful. And not only does it not make God's faithfulness untrue, it does not change the fact that God is in control of our lives even when life is not going the way we want or the way we expect in those, or in those times when we are left with the unanswered questions of why. In fact, here's a cool thing. In, 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 in fact, in our lack of understanding, <laughs> a 
Our lack of understanding only means that we, like Joseph, did for 22 years. It means that we must then walk by faith. When you don't have the answers to why, God's saying walk by faith. That's what Joseph did. That's what he had to do. Trusting in God's promises and believing in God's promises. God who is all-powerful. God who, the Bible tells us, knows the beginning to the end. And, and, and God who says that I'm working all things together for your good, for those who are called according to my purpose. Charles Spurgeon said this, A little bit of faith will get your soul to heaven. But a lot of faith will bring your heaven will bring heaven to your soul. A little bit of faith is all it takes to get your soul to heaven. But a lot of faith will bring heaven to your soul. So guys, the thing here is is that the first step in obtaining this, as as Spurgeon says, this heaven on earth experience, this this joy and peace in, in every circumstance that we're going through, It's rooted and it rests in the fact that God never loses control. Because in those moments when things aren't going the way that we want, what do we we feel like everything's out of control? Nothing's going the way that I want. Nothing's going the way that I expect. In fact, I don't know how it could even get worse than this, but I'm pretty sure it's going to, is what we sometimes say in those moments. But God doesn't lose control. Faith is rooted in that. Faith is rooted in the fact that He's doing good even though we don't have the answers to why things are the way they are. And because of that, we should rejoice. We should rejoice in those truths because they bring us to the place where we can, as we're told in the Bible, to rejoice always. In every circumstance, if in whatever trial and whatever tribulation we're going through. And I'll be, the, I'll be the first one to tell you that I don't think you rejoice because a bad thing or a difficult thing or a hard thing has happened to you. You're like, yes, my car got stolen. No, you're, you're, you're rejoicing in the fact the Bible's teaching us here, and this is what we're seeing here, is that God's in control. And if God's in control of your car getting stolen, then he's probably got some good that he's going to bring out of it. Even though we may not know why. That was my brand new car. I just got it yesterday. Paid cash for it. Didn't even have it insured. (laughs) You know? It can get worse than just your car being stolen. You know, but God's in control. You have to have faith. And when we have faith in those circumstances, it is as Charles Spurgeon says, then heaven will come to your soul. In that, you'll receive a peace and a joy. The Bible says, a peace not that the world gives, but a peace from God, who is the God of peace, that gives you peace and joy that surpasses the understanding of the situation. And the cool thing about that is when you're praising God and you're rejoicing in those situations, people look at you and they think you're weird because you're glorifying God. And they go, why are you doing that? You need to be medicated. (laughs) And you're like, no, I'm, God's in control. He's going to work it out. He's got a good plan for my life. And haven't you ever heard the Joseph story? You know, and you get to share your own story. Your own ventures of faith in those momentary times when difficult and hard things come. But guys, listen, there's an alternative. And if we're not rejoicing, if we're not rejoicing in those things, in those moments because of who God is, there's an alternative. There's an alternative. It's called anger, bitterness, an unwillingness to forgive. And all of those things flow out of this lack of faith moment or these lack of faith situations where we don't rejoice. And you know what that flows from, really? This anger, the bitterness, and the unwillingness to forgive, the alternative? It really flows from a desire in those moments to please ourselves rather than to live pleasing to the Lord. I don't want it this way. I don't like it this way. Change it. It's not fair. Why? It's only going to get worse. You've all done it too. I know you have. You're laughing because you know. But really, isn't that really? We're just going, I just want to have it my way. I don't like it. Rather than going, God, 
I know you're in control. You're working good. You've got a bigger plan. And you want good things for me. And even if I have to go through this difficult situation, it may be because you have a plan to save us all. Things that I cannot see in this moment. And that's why the Bible says that we must walk by faith and not by sight. It's not a blind faith. It's not going, you know, it's not, not just jumping off of the bridge with somebody who says jump off of the bridge. You know, your mom said, if someone jumped off the bridge, you're going to jump off the bridge too? Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are the ones jumping off the bridge without looking. It's not that kind of blind faith. It's, it's, it's relying upon what you know to be true. And what do you know to be true about your God? Is He's a good God. Is that He loves you. That He's faithful. That He's trustworthy. That He has a plan of good for our lives. And He's already demonstrated that because He's given His Son, Jesus Christ, to us who came and died upon a cross for us. He's already given us the best, Paul says. How much more or why would he not do these other things for us right now if he's already done the best he's done the best and not only that guys we have to live with the idea or with the understanding that this life or this remembrance this life is temporary often we look at our situations and our circumstances and we we just look in the moment and we see that with joseph's statement here that his perspective had grown right but our perspective is beyond this life the Bible says we have a living hope, an eternal hope. And this life here is, as the Bible says, it's temporary. It's just a vapor. It's passing away. But yet, why do we look at every look, look with the lens of, of, of such temporariness as if this life is all that there is when we're going through moments like that instead of going, you know what, this is nothing in the comparison of all eternity. And it can be a hard thing. It can be the death of a loved one. I'm not trying to make light of it where you're just like, oh, my car. I mean, I don't want your car to get stolen, but I don't want you to lose a loved one either. But things like that are going to happen in this life, and God's still in control. A God who loves us is still in control. A God who has a plan for our lives is still in our control. And so we walk by faith. We rejoice. We're filled with joy and peace. There's no anger. There's no bitterness. There's forgiveness. And we're living a life that's pleasing to the Lord rather than just seeking to please ourselves. Now, in addition to these words of comfort, we also see in verse 9 that Joseph, I love this, he sought to make provision for his family, for his brothers. Remember, we're told here twice, five more years of famine were still ahead of them. And it's evident that Joseph had the best in mind for his family when he invited them in verse 10 to dwell in the land of Goshen. And it would be part, it would be in this part of Egypt that God would grow Jacob's family into this mighty nation of Israel, just like God said he would promise, how he promised that he would do. And you know, that promise was extended at first to Abraham and then to Isaac and down to Jacob, and they prospered, right? And they lived as sojourners, as pilgrims in the land of Canaan, living and dwelling in tents. But God had a plan and he had a purpose and he brought them to this place in order to make them a mighty nation. It says, greater than their enemies. That would number as many as the, as, the, as the sands of the sea, as the stars in the heaven. And so these promises that Joseph had made, or the, excuse me, that these, these, these promises that Joseph had made here to his brothers were then carried out by Pharaoh when he received the news um, of Joseph's brothers being there. And in verse 16, let's, let's read on, it says, now in verse 16, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And we know that Joseph had favor with Pharaoh. As a matter of fact, it says here, it's an interesting verse that we read earlier, that, that Joseph said, I've become a father to Pharaoh. And so in verse 17, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart and go to land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land. <laughs> now you are commanded to do this, or commanded do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt and your little and, and, and for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your your father and come. And do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Now think about this. This has got to be mind-blowing. They were just like, what, an hour ago maybe? I don't know. Like going, I'm, we're going to be slaves for the rest of our lives. <gasps> it's Joseph. We're dead. You know? 
And, and the thing about that is, is they deserve that. They deserve that. But now Pharaoh, the ruler of the land, is saying, man, you're going to come here, I'm commanding it, and you're going to eat of the fat of the land. The best is yours. This is such a picture of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Just think about it. About what you deserve because of your sin. Because you're in righteousness. Because you're rebellion. But God has sent His Son, Jesus, and He said, you know what? That's not for you. You're going to eat of the fat of the land. I'm going to bless you. And so we read on, and it says in verse 19, now you are commanded to do this. Excuse me, verse 20. Do not be concerned about your goods for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and he gave them provision for the journey. He gave to all of them, each man, changes of garments, which represents a new beginning. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver, five changes of garments, and he sent his father these, sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt. And I keep thinking, why would you do that when you just got to bring it right back? But... That's just me being you know, maybe too practical. But it's, it's extending the gift. Uh, and, and then ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and departed, and he said to them, See to it that you do not become troubled along the way. Underline that. Underline that verse. Underline those words of, J- of Joseph. Then they went up to Egypt, and they came to the land of Canaan and Jacob to Jacob their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor of all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still. The, the word there used in the Hebrews actually meant that it, it grew cold. Um, it's like he's like, we say, oh, my heart, I'm having a heart attack. That, that kind of a shock to him because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words what Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts with which Joseph had sent, to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Joseph, with Pharaoh's blessing, sent his brothers away with the promise of good land to dwell in and with the carts that Pharaoh provided to help him carry back their families. But it's interesting to note, it's interesting to me anyway, to note that when Joseph dismissed his brothers on his journey, he gave them a specific warning. A specific warning in verse 24 saying, see to it that you not become troubled along the way. And you know, when we read that, we might think that it was nothing more than a, a, a goodwill departing in a way to wish them well on their journey home, right? Don't become troubled on the way. Be careful. Hope to see you soon. Hurry back now. Leave the light on for you. But when we consider this in the context of everything that we had just seen happen, everything that we just read, I see that Joseph was speaking one very last important encouragement to them, and I believe that this admonition would have been greatly needed for two different reasons. To begin with, even though this wonderful news of Joseph being alive was news that their father Jacob would be happy to receive, this news was news that would also expose their hidden sin. Think about that. In how they had acted wickedly towards their brother all to their brother all of their years ago, and then acted deceptively towards their own father. Remember, they had sold Joseph into slavery, and then lied to their father and told them that a wild beast had killed Joseph. They even tore his coats of many colors into pieces and took the blood of an animal and covered it, all to perpetuate this deception that they had left their father in for 22 years. So even though Joseph had forgiven his brothers and and had been gracious towards them, they were now going to have to face their father. After all these years of deception with the truth of what they had done, they were going to have to ask for forgiveness. And if you've ever been in this place where your sin has found you out and you have to go and make things right, you know how troubling it can be to go to this place where you have to confess what you've done and then say, please forgive me. There's been situations in my life where I've I've been with people and they've told me things and I'm going, okay, now that you've told me that, if you don't go make it right, I'm going to have to go tell this person that. Hard things. 
But that's the right thing to do. And this is the place that they were in. And it would have been a very difficult thing for, for Joseph's brothers to do. In fact, it would probably have been even more difficult, I think, than what they had just gone through. And as they made their long journey home, think about it, they would have had a lot of time to reflect about what they were going to have to do. You ever done that? Well, I'll say this. Or I'll say that. No, first we'll come in with all these carts full of things and Dad will be happy and then we'll say, oh, by the way, Joseph is still alive. You know, I mean, lots of times to reflect and think about what they were going to do. And I'm sure that it would have been a heavy burden for them. So Joseph, what, it is, what does he do? He encourages them before they left to not become troubled along the way. Now, in addition to this struggle, they like some... Um, like, like is sometimes the case with us in regard to our own sin and our own rebellion that God has forgiven us of, right? That they must have had doubts about the grace and the mercy that they just received. Think about it. After all, they had been prepared just moments before to be slaves in exchange for Benjamin's freedom, and they were willing to do this because they know that they deserved it. But even worse, or they, they deserved this, or even worse for what they had just done, what they had previously done to their brother all those years ago. That's what the connection they were making in their mind. And that's the place where they're at. And then when Joseph revealed to himself, or revealed himself to him, they probably thought that their lives were over, right? That the death sentence was just around the corner. But rather than being made slaves, or rather being put to death, now again, think about this in light of our own relationship to, to Christ. We know our sinful nature. As a matter of fact, there was many of us, I've talked to you, that before you gave your life to Christ, you didn't believe that grace and mercy and forgiveness would be extended to you because of what you had done. Don't you understand what I've done? God can't forgive me of these things. It's too great. And we live under the weight of that condemnation. And the weight of that sin is where the enemy wants us to be. And, and that's part of what was going on here. And not only did they not get what they deserved, not only had they been forgiven of their sin they were and given mercy, they were also given all these other things. They were given protection, something God promises us. Provision, something that God promises us. And also favor. Favor with Joseph and favor with the ruler of the land. Something that God gives to us. And not just any type of favor, but favor where we're called co-inheritors with Christ. Where we've been called sons and daughters of God the Creator. Not just servants that are allowed to live within the house, but children of God. Favor. The same thing that God gives to us. That God has given to us. And they were given all these things. And certainly it had to seem too good to be true. Right? I gotta pinch myself. This is too good to be true. And you know what? All these things could have caused doubts, could they have not? Could have caused doubts and brought back those very same feelings of fear that they had felt when they were standing before Joseph when he revealed himself to him and waiting for that judgment and that punishment to come. And guys, sometimes that's where we're at, even as believers. When we sin, when we fail, we're waiting for our punishment to come. Justin, if you want to come up, we're going to end with this. And so Joseph encouraged them. He encouraged them to not be troubled along the way. Guys, don't be troubled along the way. Do you hear the message? Don't be troubled along the way. Joseph encouraged them to not be troubled on the way. In other words, during those times when their own hearts would be condemning them as they were traveling back home, as they remembered the evil things that they had done, as they said we, as they would remember what they were deserving of, that they would not second-guess the forgiveness and the restoration that had just taken place and then the goodness that had been poured out on their lives. Guys, I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus does and would and will say the same thing to us today. See to it that we do not become troubled along the way. And we need to hear this because there are times when at least it's true in my life when my faults, my failures, my sinfulness is glaring and staring at me right in the face and condemning me and telling me that I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve God's blessing. I don't deserve God's protection, God's promises, or God's favor. I deserve death. You deserve to die. 
because we think what we've been given is too good to be true. And you know what? It is. It's too good to be true, but it's true. Listen, John addresses this exact same thing in 1 John chapter 3. He says, whatever our heart condemns us, it's called spiritual heart attack, okay? Whenever your heart condemns you, whenever your heart attacks you, he says, remember this, that our God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. It's not a surprise to God. He knows everything about you. The Bible says in Lamentations chapter 3 that even though He knows everything about you, that His mercies are new every morning. He says, God knows everything. He says, dear friends, if our heart condemns us, verse 21, we have confidence before God. And how do we do that? Because we remember His love. This morning I would encourage you to remember His love for you. Remember His love for you. Remember the price that He paid for you. And this is one of the reasons why, guys, we are instructed to take communion together, to partake of the bread, to partake of the, of the cup, remembering the new covenant that we've been brought into as a result of the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. Because it reminds us that we've been forgiven. And not only have we been forgiven, but the debt that you and I owed, the things that we were guilty of, have been paid for. God just didn't go, well, I'm not going to pay attention to those things. I'm just going to ignore those. And that's not it. God said, I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to expose it. And I'm going to put it right here. And I'm going to have my son Jesus die for it. And his righteousness is going to be exchanged for your sinfulness. What a wonderful thing our God has done for us. And because of that, we can have confidence before God. When our heart condemns us, when the world condemns us, when our sin staring us in the face, when we're traveling along the way, we can take hope and comfort and not be troubled along the way. Father, we thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you, God, for this encouragement and this example. God, I know what it's like, and, and, and I know that there are many here, Lord, who are even probably today struggling with the weight of their own sin, of their own righteous, unrighteousness, their faults, their failures, and resting in that place where they can live in grace. So I pray, God, that if there's anyone here this morning who has never yet given their lives to you and accepted that because the enemies kept them in this place where they believe that they're, that they're, that they, that they're lost, that you would show them, God, that you're greater than their sin, that you would draw them into that relationship with you, Lord, that they would cry out for forgiveness and know that when, you, when, you, when they do that, that as the Word says, that you're faithful and just to forgive that you're just sitting there waiting as a loving father, just like Joseph was waiting there before his, son, his brothers to go, I forgive you. And you want to pour out blessings. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that this morning. And Lord, for any believer here who is struggling, God, with just that, with, with being free from the bondage of the sin that has overtaken us, that so easily overtakes us, Father, that we would... Set those things aside. And Lord, that you would, you would reassure us through your Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper, God, that um, we're yours. And there's nothing that can sever that love bond that you have for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we stand and we're going to sing a last song of worship together.